like I had a I had a desktop and I moved to a MacBook and and I am now on at least my second, if not my third MacBook Pro since that computer that had Backblaze on it. And I still <laughs> haven't gotten around to using the Backblaze license that I'm paying for, you know, not sponsored. This is just, you know, I, I'm, I'm paying yearly for this and not using it. And it to the point where they send me emails like maybe twice a year that like, hey, you still want this, right? And I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 118. And on today's show, we are going to be talking about things that we probably should be doing, but, you know, reasons <laughs> reasons happen and we are not doing them. But first, as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. And I guess it looks like it's my turn to go first. It, it's, it feels like we might have skipped somebody, but whatever, I'll, I'll do it. Um, so I'm going to start us off with a fail, and this is good because I feel like I've had too long of a streak of triumphs anyway. Um, <laughs> winning. I submitted a talk proposal for Svelte Society, or for, I'm sorry, for Svelte Summit in May, and I was getting really excited about it. I was, you know, I, for me, it was, uh, you know, submit the topic because you want to learn the topic, not because I already mm-hmm. know it and, and, uh, am just ready to go with a presentation. And I was very excited about it. And then I found out that from the moment that I got notified to the moment that I would have to have like a recording of my presentation done and submitted, cause it's all pre-recorded would be like two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so between the short timeline and the fact that I don't know the topic that well already, and the fact that my workload is just a bit high lately and looks like it's going to stay that way for a while. I just had to withdraw. So I was really excited. And, you know, maybe I'll submit it again in the future if somebody doesn't beat me to it. But, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some. Mm. It sucks. I can dig it. Nobody's well, going to ask me what the topic well, was. I, I, so I didn't know. I wasn't <laughs> like dance around it because I didn't know if you wanted to give away your topic. That's okay. I, yeah, that's fine. You know what? If somebody wants to present it and... I can learn from them that, you know, all the better, right? So the, the, this proposal was a test driven Svelte kit. So end to end tests with Playwright and using VTest to do like unit tests of all your, you know, your little services and utilities within your application and trying to model how to do like true test driven development in that modern stack. And cause that's something that I am very interested in and in getting into. But have, have you have you started that TDD book yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still have my bookmark in it from 20, what was it, 2020, 2021? I don't know. It's still there. I'll probably have to like back up a chapter to remind myself where we are, where I am. But it's on my list for, hey, it's March. There it's March. Go. There you go. We're still I, got, I got the rest of the year to finish it. You got the rest um, of the year to procrastinate it and then yeah. try, try to do it in December. Exactly. <laughs> No, I'll get through it. I'll get through it. So, well, that's it for me. How about you, Tim? So I'm going with the triumph, then I'll do a follow-up on last week's failure. My triumph is not code-related, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, we I, I was doing our annual uh, wild game exotic meat dinner, mm-hmm. and and python was the main main dish, and it was a it was a big hit. It, I, I was really really this was probably most stressed about this one than any of the other ones I've done, just because. Python was just so chewy and it smelled like swamp. And I was like, how is this ever going to taste good? But, you know, I, you, I chopped it up super fine, cooked it really well, seasoned it really well, and put it on, you know, did a, a Thai green curry because I love Thai food. And it kind of looked like, you know, a, a python in a swamp, you know, the green color. <laughs> and that, it, was, it was a huge hit. Everybody was like, it, it was amazing. Of course, they all had been drinking pretty heavily at that point. So I don't know. Um, and when you compare it to testicles, I mean, everything's going to be better than that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, but I was, I was super good. So now I put a, I'll put a picture when this show, the show comes out, but I put it on our channel right now. If you want to look at, this is one of the snakes that I put out there. It's that, that long white thing I'm holding up. Wow. Oh my goodness. It's like a 12, 13 foot long Python filet. And we had two of those that I served. And what really stressed me out was that he, we always order like one like small portion so that I can do testers, right? Like 
So, because I experimented with like six different recipes till I got something I thought was halfway decent. But the, the, see how white that meat is? Yeah, very. Mm-hmm. So, so that had been in the freezer and like a couple of days before I took it out. And the, the snake that I had cooked as a tester was like bright pink. It was red meat. And I pull this out and I'm like, something's wrong here. Did this like get improperly stored and like, mm. like, you know, like, like gets frozen and then goes, maybe gets warm and then gets refrozen. I was really worried. So I, I took a little portion of that 13 foot snake, cooked it and I ate it the night before to make sure. <laughs> and I told, I told, to take one for the yeah, team. <laughs> I told you, that's what I said. I said, what I said to the guy who's his whole things for his dad, the memory of his death. And I said, Gary, I, I, I ate some. And if I'm puking in the morning, I says, we're just going to have to do something else. But uh, it, it was fine. It was good. So did that. The, the menu, I'll just read off the menu that we had. Spicy deer sausage, cheese dip, the Ed Martin, which is the, the guy who it's in honor of, of famous Rocky Mountain oysters, llama andouille skillet pasta with pepper jack cheese, Burmese ball python fillets and a Thai green curry sauce, and creme brulee with strawberry sauce. Uh, yeah, it went it went really well. So I was super pleased. Yeah, very nice. cool. So w- with the curries thing, are you like trying to hide this really pungent yeah. kind of odd meat yeah, yeah. in it? Yeah. Okay. So well, it's, actually, it's more about it, the rest of it than by the time it was done, the actual snake didn't have a huge amount of like bad flavor. You, it was still this kind of whip because I'd been cooking it so much that you know flavor was really really pronounced. But to everyone else, I'm pretty sure they didn't. It was like a hint to me. It was like mm. I still had that stink on my fingers and it's mm. like you know so i i like ate, ate it and just tasted it make sure it was all right and i was like okay it tastes it tastes good it's just really really chewy but um when i was it was it was really cool to have like i had this big kitchen with a walk-in cooler and freezer and like an eight burner stove and i had two line cooks helping me and two servers coming so i just hand them stuff they take it out i showed them how to oh i also did it wasn't on the menu was, i didn't know if i'd have time to do it but i did i did a like a sushi roll and i was going to do the the silkworm mm-hmm. larva. Oh, right. It was, it was awful. It, the silkworm, it tasted of nothing. It was like cardboard. So I, instead, I put black ants, dried out black ants on there, which I've done before. They taste citrusy. It's really, they actually taste pretty good. So I did that and everybody thought, I showed the line cooks how to do that. And they were just cranking out those rolls and those were a big hit. So very nice. Yeah. Remind me not to come to dinner at your house. <laughs> hey, I only do this once a year. This isn't like a regular thing. It's not. This isn't what we eat at at the Cunningham household. I promise you. But then an update. So last week I was complaining about the failure of the, the one of the processors that that we use just kind of messed everything up. There was three days worth of funding. Oh, that, right. They, right. They char- charge everyone's cards and and they, they you know gave us you know authorization codes and everything and you know so we funded the customer but the money was just was not there and, and people were just mad so we actually that finally got settled friday so the, all of last week was just still a nightmare for me it was just stressful i've got a pimple 52, <laughs> 52 years old i got a pimple from just being completely stressed out but they they wound up so what happens, so whenever you charge your card, there's several things that happen. One, they they do an initial authorization. Like if you go to the gas tank and, you know, if you maybe you have alerts on your phone, the second you swipe your card, it like charges you. It doesn't charge you. It authorizes, right? But it does show mm-hmm. up. So if you look at your bank account, you'll see pending, you know, $50 or $100 or whatever. So the the processor at the end of that, they have to sort of, they have to settle that. And that settlement is actually what switches it from pending to funded. And then your bank knows that it needs to send the card processor the money. And then the card processor takes that money and sends it to whoever the merchant is. And so what happened was they they authorized it and they sent us the authorization, but they never settled it. Mm. So what happened was people would look on their card statements. They saw a pending authorization, 200 bucks. And then next day it was gone with no existing like $200 charge. And so what they had to do was I, I just, I learned a lot about more about how the back workings of, you know, the card networks work is an authorization can stay valid for up to two weeks, 14 days. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And we were in the 10 day window still. So what they did was they didn't recharge the card, but that's not what it looked like to the end use. <laughs> what they did was they basically use the exact same authorization. So the same auth code, and everything showed up. They charged people's cards, and the money got funded. And then they they have promised that if you know 
they charge. And like, let's say it's your, de- you know, up these people that are buying insurance. It's, it's, um, maybe, you know, they, they spend all the money in their account, right? And now it's, it goes declined. They said they will fund those even though the person actually didn't pay them. Mm-hmm. So that's going to come out of their pocket. So, and then some people had overdraft charges. They're, they're covering that as well. So they're making oh, wow. it good. All right. They're making it good. I mean, it's, but it's just been so stressful, but I'm just so, I'm just glad it's behind me now <laughs> and hopefully nothing like this happens again. And I'm definitely doing my best to move those few remaining customers we have on them off to another provider. No more, uh, no additional Twilio challenges this week. No, they, they seem to be working. I did get confirmation. So with an, I'm moving things back to an 800 number because toll-free numbers, they work. I found this out. This was new to me as well. Toll-free numbers, as long as you put in a request, even when they're pending, they don't block them. Ah, nice. Right, because a toll-free number is going to be a little more expensive than if you're you know, using a, a, just a regular local code, right? So they assume a business is, is using that number. So yeah, basically, yeah, so I got everyone 800 numbers. I haven't been able to work on that because all the crap was going on last week, but this week I'm going to move them over to those 800 numbers. Two of them actually have been approved, and so the rest of them I'm just going to go get pending 800 numbers and, and do the uh, process to, to get it going. Because, yeah, it took, took four months when they say it only should take you know, four to six weeks. It took four months for them to approve those 800 numbers. But as long as I can still send things through them, I'm cool. So nice. Anyway, that's me. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with a triumph. So I've been part of this much larger cost-cutting initiative at work. And uh, what I've been tasked with is trying to find S3 objects in Amazon's simple storage to that, that we can delete because we've been paying for tremendous petabytes worth of data, multi-petabytes worth of data. And uh, there's the way that the application works or has worked historically is when you go to delete records that have S3 objects tied to them, we do a best effort deletion of those S3 objects. But, you know, sometimes there's network calls and instead of stopping the overall process, we'll kind of just swallow it and log the fact that it failed. And over the years, you know, there's a lot of cruft that's built up or, or at least that's the theory. And I was going through the AWS console like two weeks ago. And I have this weird permissions thing we can't figure out where I can't actually see all of the prefixes that are in the S3 bucket. So I was literally just typing A and then I would see what would come up and I would type B and I would see what would come up as far as prefixes. And I get to P and suddenly these two random folders show up that I have never seen before. And it turns out that it was a temporary upload storage for one of our little plugins. And for the last seven years, nothing has been deleting any of the temporary files that were uploaded to those uh, prefixes. So I've been scanning these two folders for like the last two weeks. And so far, (laughs) I've located and deleted 300 terabytes worth of temporary files. (laughs) (laughs) And, and they're all in these, they're all in these hex, you know, like a UUID. So it's all hex characters. And, and uh, the way you list objects in S3 is you basically, they're listed alphabetically. So I say, you know, give me the next thousand keys starting with this key. And so I can sort of get a sense of how far we are in the journey because I can see we're in the, we're in a folder that starts with, you know, the letter two or the letter A and we're going up to F and we're at 300 and like 330 terabytes that I've found so far. And, Whoa. and uh, we're up to the letter seven, I think. <laughs> so we're on our way to F. So it's going to be, I, I'm, I think I'm, you already were at F, but now, now you're yeah. just finding out how much it's, it's, it's crazy. And so S3 storage is incredibly, incredibly cheap. Um, yeah, but, no kidding. But once you get in apparently to the hundreds of terabytes, it's, it's going to deleting this, it's going to start to actually save the company real dollars and cents, which is kind of mind boggling. Do you have a, a rough idea of how much? I, I don't know if I can say, I mean, like I don't have a great I mean, understanding, but I also don't know if I'm allowed to say just because it's financial yeah. stuff. But it will be... You guys are publicly traded? No, no. But, you know, who knows what they want to say? Who mm-hmm. knows what I'm allowed to say? But the, the next thing that we have to figure out is that on that S3 object, on that S3 bucket, there's a 90-day retention policy for deleted objects. Right. So in theory, even if I delete a bunch of stuff, it's like months until we realize that cost savings. So we're going to meet on Monday to talk about either lowering the retention for the whole bucket, because I don't think 90 days we need that, but also you, apparently you can have multiple lifecycle policies within a single bucket where they're, 
they're targeted at individual prefixes. So we can go into say like just this one random folder prefix and say reduce that retention policy to like 24 hours or something and start to realize those costs much sooner. Well, let me just throw this out there. I just real quick pulled up like the AWS pricing calculator, 300 terabytes per month on S3 costs you. Now this is, you know, the, the like on demand, no yeah, special, yeah, yeah, yeah. No whatever. No like, tiering or anything. Right. Not, but you're looking at like approaching $7,000 a month for 300 terabytes. Yeah. Wow. That sounds right. It's going to start to be real money. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then that times 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goodness. Well, good maybe, job. Maybe you can hire someone back that you guys laid off. <laughs> oh, oh, below the belt. Sorry. <laughs> hey, guys, I got a new way to hire people. <laughs> just, let's just delete our stuff. <laughs> Best product is the one that doesn't exist. Yeah, man. I, I'm telling you, code, at least. AWS and, and like I'm sure you know Microsoft Azure is the same. It just gets so complex, right? Yeah. It seems simple at first, like oh yes, yeah, just throw it. But it's like there's so many moving pieces, and just every time it's like I'm just amazed the whole thing works. And then and then I sometimes wonder if Amazon makes it. Seems like they make things a little hard. They let you do it all yourself, but they also give you enough rope to hang yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> because they want to make money, right? That 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 is their that's their cash cow. Forget. Amazon, you know, Amazon purchases and everything. They make a butt ton of money off hosting that, that mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, so it's in their best interest. You can make sure, you know, the whole retention policy thing, the default is three months. Yeah, you deleted it, but we're still going to charge you for the next three months. Well, and it gets, it gets so complicated because there's so many little, there's different types of storage and then there's different details. So we've been going back and forth with their, some of their technical experts on S3 just to figure out if there's a better way that we can optimize our storage costs. And there's a, this, in, I think this is the intelligent tiering where once you have objects that have been in S3 for over 30 days, they can get a sense of whether or not they're permanent. And then if they're permanent, but not accessed for like another 30 days, they can move them into this really low cost, like pre-glacier, but still right. instant access. But that only applies to things that are, I think, are like above 128 kilobytes because anything below 128 kilobytes, they won't move into that lower tier storage. And then there's a per like million object monitoring cost because they have to know how frequently things are accessed. So they have to store that somewhere. So it's like, it's not just how much does it cost to store X number of gigabytes of data. It's like how big are each of those objects and how frequently are they accessed and what's the latency that you, you know, your application can have on that. And it's, it's really not clear. Like you have to have people who really think deeply about integrating storage into the application. Yeah. And a lot of people just don't do that or just don't have, I mean, it's like, I don't need to be an yeah, expert. Like I'm on building this, an application. Right. right. This is not, this just, is not I just, how I want I just to store, store something somewhere. Yeah. And it's like, so I don't know how many years, probably seven years ago, I guess we reached the point of, of AWS usage that they assigned an account person to us and they reached out to us and I was pretty flattered. Like, Hey, they're calling. All right. And they're like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we want to help you. And if you guys have any questions, you know, we can get you in touch with experts, you know, on the moment. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. So, and I took some several calls with them, probably like 15 calls. And at the end of it, I'm like, Dang. I'm done talking to you guys. Cause they, they never really helped me solve <laughs> any problems. All they ever did was try to sell me more stuff. That's mm-hmm. all they ever did. I like, oh yeah, we can give you a subject matter expert on, you know, AI stuff. And so they put me in touch and it's like this whole new service that I got to buy. And that's, they never like helped me with an existing problem. They're like, oh, hey, we'll get back to you on that. And it's like crickets. <laughs> I don't think they even bothered looking it up what I was talking about. They maybe give some vague suggestion and point me some docs that, you know, made no sense. But it's like, I'm, I'm done talking to you guys. I don't need an account rep. Stop talking to me. All you're trying to do is upsell me. <laughs> I respect the hustle, but, you know, no. Yo, I, I will say one other triumph just to sort of... No, you can't have two. No, no, hold You're on. Greedy. <laughs> greedy. This, this is exciting. This is exciting because it dovetails with your food festival. Just this afternoon, my wife taught me how to cook a hamburger, which I have never in my life done. So that was very exciting. I am proud of did you. you. Did you wear sunglasses while you were doing it? Or? <laughs> I cooked it in a cast iron skillet on our on our stove. She was like, do you want to fire up the grill? I'm like, no, that's way too much work. Yep, yep. I do not want to get, like, I want this to be as easy as possible. And it probably would have been easier on the grill just from a cleaning perspective. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, and I didn't die. So 
Congratulations. Congratulations. You and my 14-year-old have something in common. (laughs) (laughs) So good for you. All right. Well, last week we did, one of the things that we did was announce the winner of our, what do we call it? Truth. It truth our two truths and a lie, a little game that we played. And the winner was Nathan Strutz and he did send us his acceptance speech. So I'm going to play that yeah. for you now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You're too kind. I'm so honored to receive this, the most prestigious award in the universe. <laughs> it means so much to me. I'm crying. This is such a sweet moment. I'd like to thank, first of all, my parents for raising me to be such a cynical, skeptical human being. It finally paid off, Mom. I knew it would if I just kept the sarcasm up, the distrust, for long enough. It turned me into such a winner. (laughs) I'd also like to send my thanks out to all the liars out there for making this moment possible. Without your blatant disregard for the truth, I wouldn't be standing here today basking in the glory of this award. Thank you once again for this incredible honor. I promise to use my powers for good, or at least for our collective amusement. And finally, I have a challenge for you. Uh Uh-oh. Two truths Uh and a lie. Number one, I won a country music award. Number two, my brothers and sisters all live in Alaska. Number three, I've worked at Boeing for over 15 years. Mm. One of those is a lie. Thanks for the great podcast, y'all. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Nicely done, Nathan. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, and and he threw down the gauntlet. Okay, so let me let me start with this. I believe I have known Nathan now for more than fifteen years. Same. Yeah. And I am almost certain that he has worked at Boeing that entire time. All right. So All right. I, I feel like that one's going to be true. He, yeah. can't, he can't possibly have won a country music award. That's crazy. Come on. I right? mean, and if, and if he so has. If he has, that's pretty Googleable, isn't it? Which I'm doing right now, by the way. <laughs> well, but like, maybe there's. I feel like that one is designed to get us right. That that feels right? like it should be the lie, right? and so the, it's probably true. But this is it, like it, Tim living in Glasgow, Atlanta, or Cla- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scotland, <laughs> Scotland, Georgia. Yeah, no, and, and the other one, he said, all of my brothers and sisters live in Alaska. Which there's so many like little weasel words that he could have right. put in there, like all, all yeah, or yeah. or like live as in currently well, he live. Has no brothers and sisters or not? Yeah, count? right. Like, and yeah, I feel like this is something I should know about. Anything, a country but. music award. It, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be the Academy of Country Music Awards. Right? Ah, it, could, it could be nice, nice. Right? right? Yeah, the 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 Hickasaw, Chickasaw, <laughs> you know, country <laughs> country music blue ribbon at the county fair. Right. Right. Oh man. Yeah, I, I think it's the brothers and sisters. I think it's the all. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll party up with you on that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to the same. Same. Yep. So Nathan, uh, you're gonna have to let us know. To get it right. <laughs> but thank you so much for calling in, sir. That was amazing. <laughs> that was awesome. And you still need to pick your gift. I told you pick what you want. He's like, ask me for a budget. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm gonna give you a budget. Just t- tell me what you want. All right. He'll, well, he'll pick the uh, he'll pick the working code dev diamond ring. <laughs> <laughs> let me quick. Let me go take that one off the website. <laughs> cool. So things that we should be doing, but that we're not. And we probably feel bad about it. Who wants to go first? Yo, I'll just throw this out there because I've actually regressed and that is backing up my computer. Yeah. I was yeah. not backing my computer for a long time. And then it, and then the battery started to expand and I like panicked that I would lose it forever. Yeah. So I started backing it up and this, and that was on the old Intel Mac. And then I switched over to an M1 Mac. I restored from the backup. Like I did a time machine restoration from the backup. But I wasn't sure if it like everything works, so I didn't want to touch the old hard drive. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to start backing up my uh, my new computer, and I've been using it for like three months now. Yeah, I'm in a very similar spot, right? So I've I I don't know what maybe ten years ago I was like, okay, we got to get this get serious about uh, taking care of our computers. So I got Backblaze for myself and my wife, and got all of our computer stuff like fully backing up to the cloud, and it was great. And then like her computer died, and so. I had to like build our new computer and restore from the backup. And it was a similar situation for a little while, but eventually I got it sorted out. And, and, and then I moved, right? Like I had a, I had a desktop and I moved to a MacBook and, and I am now on at least my second, if not my third MacBook Pro since that computer that had Backblaze on it. And I still <laughs> haven't gotten around 
to using the Backblaze license that I'm paying for, you know, not sponsored. This is just, you know, I, I'm, I'm paying yearly for this and not using it. And it to the point where they send me emails like maybe twice a year that like, hey, you still want this, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're here I for think, you. I, I think the problem is like, it takes, so I can, I, it would be easy to just be like, okay, turn it on, start backing up my machine and use this license. But if I do that, then it's going to delete everything that's in the backups that I have saved on there. Right, and so what right. I need to do first is like get all of that data and, and put it somewhere safe so that I can know that I haven't lost anything. And they, they have a, a tool to like export and you can go through your backup and say, okay, I don't care about the Windows folder you know, all of that stuff. But like, you know, give me my photos and videos and documents and that sort of thing. And it takes time to generate that file and then you have to go download it and do something with it and like be confident that you've got it in the right place. You're not going to lose anything. And and I think that adding a NAS to my local network is probably something I've done since the last time I've even thought about this. So probably that would be the <laughs> thing for me to do now is like to, to download my Backblaze data, put it on my NAS. So just like, you know, here's here's a, a giant old zip file. If you ever need something, this is like the you know the the whatever the zip file of last resort. <laughs> well, and and I my my one of my big problems is that I'm I'm not like a super technically savvy person, and I get I I get sucked into the whole paradox of choice. So I'll go to something like wirecutter.com, which I think is owned by the New York Times now, and I say like, what is the best network drive for backing up your computer? And then they'll give you great choices, but it's always by category. It's like, here's the best budget drive and like, here's the best spinning drive and here's the best flash drive and here's the best flash drive if you only need to go less than two terabytes or like, and here's the, you know, hardy that you travel with and like, here's if you're a digital photographer. And I just wish that someone, like, I almost don't care what the quality is. I just want someone to say, this is the one you should get. Don't think about it. Yep. I just want, I actually want that for like all aspects of my life. Oh man. <laughs> someone just I, do that. I, yeah, exactly. I was just saying the other day, like, God, it would be so nice to have like a personal assistant that I could be like, look, my truck has a recall for like the seal around the light that shines down over the bed, like off the back <laughs> of truck, right? Like, yes, I want to get this fixed so that like water doesn't get inside my truck, but it's not, you know, a, a mission critical thing. So I just right. haven't done it yet. I've probably been sitting on it for more than a year. And I'm just like, I need somebody to just like schedule it sometime that I'm just going to be sitting at home working and like come pick up the truck, take it in for me, wait for it and bring it back and just be done with it. You know, I've got so many things on my to-do list like that that are like, it doesn't have to be me that does it. But if somebody in my house is going to do it, it's going to be me like running mm -hmm. network cable through the attic right. to all the bedrooms or like. Right now, it's just running on the floor down the hall because <laughs> <laughs> we needed something, you know, in a day. And I wasn't prepared to go climbing through the attic, drilling holes in the wall. But yeah. So talking about backups, I, I don't do that at all. I don't think I ever have. And I don't think I ever will. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, so I was in a meeting the other day and I heard kind of the probably one. It's not necessarily being backed up. But so I, I know of a company that got ransomware. Mm -hmm. And so for an entire month, they basically were out of business. They couldn't do anything for their customers, their soft, their, their customers at all. And it was, and they couldn't say anything legally, things like that. But, and this isn't one of our companies, this is someone I was talking to when we were talking to our, one of our auditors telling me this story, but what they, they started doing because it's like, so these, these people that like, impersonate themselves and say, Hey, your boss needs you to send these you know, gift cards to, yeah, yeah. And, but he doesn't, you know, you get that all the time, but it's like where they're mining this data is we, we have so much in our laptops or our computers. Like, you know, I hoard, you know, tons of like spreadsheets and files that go back sometimes a decade. Right. And it's, I've got people's personal information. I've got their tax information. I've got their salary. And it's like, I, it, I just never throw it away because I, I don't know why I never need it, but I just don't. And so someone gets on your computer and they start rooting around, they find this stuff. Right. Tim, you're so, establishing yourself as a, a potential target here. Right. <laughs> right. So, so here's, here's what I, I need to start doing. And I, I will, right. This is what we're talking about. Things we need to do is just, you know, every, 12 months or whatever, back up your entire computer on an external hard drive, wipe your computer, and then, you know, start kind of fresh. And then if you need something, you know where you have it. You can physically uh, plug it in, pull, 
pull it off. Like, oh, where's that spreadsheet that I need from two years ago? Okay, here, I'll pull that in. All right, I need that. Unplug it. Because they can't hack it if it's not plugged. Mm. Right? So, yeah, just that made, that was actually one of the first, because it's like, honestly, it's like most of the stuff I really know I need, I've uploaded to OneDrive or right. corporate OneDrive. I, all the stuff that's really important is there. That, that's how I feel a little bit. It's like it's either on Dropbox right now, yeah. which I know they say you shouldn't use as a backup, but whatever. And then, it, or it's on GitHub is basically where my two yeah. things live. But when you're talking about like backup solutions, it's just, they are very cumbersome. If we need a backup solution, that's like Git. If you just go command line, Git backup, and then it just takes whatever's changed since the last time you did that and like patches it in, like you just move to another. That, that's what we need, but it's like, I don't know if that, I mean, I don't know if that's even possible. Backblaze just runs constantly and you can set like how aggressive you want it to be in terms of like how much of your CPU it will consume. So if you're, if you are using the computer, it will uh, back off or if, you know, if it's overnight, if it's overnight and, and your computer's idle, you can have it like, you know, kind of go hog wild there and you can tell it like, you know, don't use too much of my network bandwidth during the day or, or you know, so, go crazy. Sounds great, but you're not using it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying though, is like, you know, you were talking about, you need something and, and it, that's kind of what it does. It's just like constantly looking for changes in the folders that you specify and, and backing them up. So awesome. Why aren't you using it? <laughs> <laughs> I explained that already. <laughs> Damn it, Tim. All right. We got a lot of these things. All right. Yeah. 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 Let's move on. I got a good one. When we had Brian Kloss on the show many, many episodes ago, he introduced me to a term called click ops. Right. So that is you're like you're using AWS and you just go in, you're like, oh, okay, I need an EC2 instance. So you click, click, click yeah, with your mouse. That's what in, I do. That's what I console. do. Yep. <laughs> and, and and that's great because it's, you know, you can experiment, you can can learn and and figure out what you need to do, but it is not at all reproducible. Especially like, you know, you think, okay, well, I'm gonna write down everything I do, write down the steps. Well, they change that interface so often. Yep. Right. That, oh my God, that, so often. Yeah. And so like even if you take meticulous notes about what you did and it would be a long laborious tedious process to to recreate it from scratch your notes are still not going to be perfect right there people are going to have to sort of read between the lines and, and figure it out and it's not well, true with blog posts you find blog posts and it's like old screenshots uh, from yeah, two totally. years ago right yeah so i mean aws's answer to this is a tool that they call cloud formation which is mm-hmm. to my understanding i've never touched it and that's the, the failure here is that you know these are this is something i should be using but i'm not and you like basically provide configuration i don't know if it's a json file or a yaml file or what but provide configuration and it can create all of the instances and databases and whatever that you need and and you know network them all together and set all the settings and do all the things it's supposed to be great <laughs> that's definitely something I should be looking into. Yeah. Fortunately, someone else already kind of, one, one on our team already did all that stuff for me. So all of our deployment stuff is, is based on that. It's just a script you run, which is repeatable and it works great. But yeah, yeah, I couldn't write it myself if I had to right now. So I'm with you in that boat. We have at work such, I mean, to like Tim, we have a team of people or dwindling team of team of people people at this point that have done this kind of stuff but even though they've done this kind of stuff historically you look and it's like yeah some of the newer stuff is really clean and put together but there's Mm. still very handcrafted old machines that are running a very old part of the system Mm. and and so there's really still a it, it seems like it's hard to bring the old things forward with you. It's sort of people are starting new things with better approaches, but not necessarily going back and cleaning up the old things. So, so I got one reading more work related book. I read a lot, but all of it's like science fiction, fantasy. It's all pleasure reading, right? I I find it really hard just to read books about coding or more and more, you know, management kind of stuff and like team building and finance stuff. I just, I know I should, but it's like, you know what? I'm like towards the tail end of my career here and I've done pretty well. Do I really need to learn some new stuff? <laughs> it's now the time for you to be reading clean code. <laughs> I mean, I read, I read clean code. I benefited from it greatly, but I was forced to by you guys. So. Right. <laughs> and it was awesome. But it's like, I just, I can't find that impetus to like read news. I mean, read tons of articles and stuff. I can do mm-hmm. that. I can do the bite-sized pieces, but an entire book where I'm dealing with like, even like some, Engineering management for the rest of us. Okay, by Sarah, oh, Sarah Trasner. Yeah, yeah. See, see, you're you're a good example of that. You you do I, tend well, to read. 
I, I read a lot of books. I'm, I'm right there with you. Most of what I read is science fiction, not so much the fantasy, but, and then, you know, occasionally it's other stuff. Like I, I read Atomic Habits and I read some stuff that's like, you know, about time management, that sort of thing. And, and like more recently I read Learning Agile. I just wanted to, to finally like get a, go from, I've heard of Agile, I've heard of what are the practices to like, I have read the book. <laughs> you know, there's a big difference yeah. between there. Yeah. And so I, I got the audio book, which, you know, turns out is it's the O'Reilly book. It's called Learning Agile. It's free on Amazon. It's obviously not Amazon Originals, but it's in their plus catalog or something. And so if you're a, if you're right. an Audible subscriber, then you get that book for free and you can just, mm. it didn't cost you anything, which is great because, you know, then I was able to like, you know, read it while I was doing the dishes and yeah. driving around, picking up my kid from school, that sort of thing. The problem that I have with, with a lot of books is, is there's a huge amount of just sort of like, duh. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a huge amount of that. It's like, yeah, okay, obviously. And there's other stuff that's it's more practical principles, but it's like, all right, how do I actually put this into practice in my world? And the yep. disconnect between the principles of of the idea and the actual execution is kind of where the gap is. It's like, okay, I, I get it. I see where, you know, this is important, but how do we actually make this reality? And so I feel that if I've, I've spent that time and that, that bandwidth in my head, it's like, is that wasted opportunity? Like it just, it just, it's not going to become a reality. I, I just feel like now I just know how inept I am. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I think part of the issue for me, because I I also struggle with this, is that is twofold. One, earlier in my career, a larger percentage of the things that I were reading were helpful because I didn't know very much. Right. So I could read an entire book on SQL and, you know, 80% of it was stuff I didn't know or didn't know very well. If I went and I read a book about SQL, it would have to be something like super niche like. Right. I don't know, you know, like maximizing bin log usage for mm-hmm. replication, like something very targeted, or I'd have to read a 400 page book to get, you know, a handful of tips right. that might be applicable, which to your point, like, is that really a good use of my time? The other thing that I think I struggle with is, and this kind of ties back to when we had Brian Rinaldi on talking about how niche all the conferences are, is that it, it, it's like... It's hard to just read a book about web development, like generalized web development and get something valuable out of it, especially at our point in our career. If it was early on and I wanted just like a little light touching on all of the different aspects of web development, it'd be helpful. But, you know, I love Angular as an example. I'm not really heavily investing in Angular right now just because it's not involved in my day to day work. So it's like, do I even do I even need to stay up to date with it or is it like, is that worth my time? It's very, yeah. it's very hard. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I've struggled with that too. It's like, I'm going to read this and probably 80% I know and trying to find the 20% that it's actually going to help me at this point in my career. My son could, my son could read that book and be like, oh my God, this is a revolution. You know, and he'll like stand at my doorway and- <laughs> Risk architecture and re- is going to change everything. <laughs> yeah. He'll regale me with, you know, something that, that he's learned about, you know, programming and or AI and also I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah. Even just going back to the idea that the AWS console is changing constantly, it, it takes people a long time, relatively speaking, to to write a book. And mm-hmm. you know, you're writing a book about Svelte and then suddenly SvelteKit comes out and it's and like did it change everything? I mean, I don't know about Svelte, but like you could write a book about React, whatever, com- you know, like class-based components, and then everyone now is writing functional components and they look at your book and you're like, "Whoa, does anyone even write React like this anymore?" And I'm not. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's why I think you've seen a a major shift in tech books from stuff that clearly like the O'Reilly books, right? That clearly takes years to write to something that is more approachable and and like you know, the writer can get it done in like two, three months of like intense work. Right, right. As far as reading though, I had a thought and you guys tell me how much you think that your companies would be down for this. But like, what if just as a, as like a professional development thing, you set aside like a half an hour a day. So we're, we're talking two and a half hours a week, right? Of, you know, I'm just going to sit in my office and read some technical book, right? I'm going to catch up on my TDD book or I'll read you know, whatever that engineering management book or, or whatever. But like, we guys think about that. Would that fly if you asked for that time at work? 
I mean, I don't have to ask. <laughs> well, <laughs> if what if your your reports asked you, Tim? I would totally tell them, yeah. In fact, I we have like a dedicated like training budget that we use, and I struggle every year to spend that money. I'm like, what do you guys want to learn and do? And I'm like, oh, I never really get any straight answers. You want to um, send them to a taffy workshop? <laughs> I'm the only one who uses taffy. So. I, I think I think you need an accountability buddy. Yep. I I think at work, and I can only speak for people I work with. They're all very bright, very motivated people. I, I still think even in that context, it's very hard for people to voluntarily carve out mm-hmm. self-guided learning moments in the week. Yeah. It's almost like you need to have like a, a cohort for chunked learning at work, right? So you need to just be like, okay, the whole team is going to read this book and we're going to do like one chapter a week. Yeah. So you've got a ton of time to read each chapter, you know, fit it in wherever it makes sense for you on the clock. And then like, you know, Friday from four to five. We'll get together and we'll just talk about what we learned. You just gave me an idea. So we do something at, I I instituted something last year called First Fridays. Mm -hmm. So around here, I don't know many cities do this, like First Fridays, like local Mm -hmm. towns will have like food trucks and a little party. So at work on First Friday of every month, we kind of look back at the the previous month and say, hey, what are some wins? What are are some awesome things that that happened last month? And what are we looking forward to this month? And we do that every First Friday. One of the things like this is for, this isn't for a coding type person, but her assignment is I need you to bring me. So we're in the money moving business. So explain, you know, give us something interesting that you read about the industry that we don't know so we can keep keep up with competitors or, you know, changes in legislation and things like that. And so she has to bring two items to each first Friday. Normally she can only bring one. I, I don't, I don't know if it's a lack of time or, or, or what, but she normally brings one. I could do the same thing with the coders, right? I could say first Friday and I wouldn't do it in our general meeting. It'd be maybe a first Friday with just the development team and say first Friday, I want you to like demonstrate some new thing that you learned in coding, like new aspect, new library, new principles, new pattern, anti-pattern, just something that you learned and present it, mm-hmm. you know, in 10 minutes. Doesn't, right? Don't make it. And I think that would, if I did that, it'd be germane to what they're trying to do because I mean, why would they be look, learning about it unless they thought it would be useful? Mm-hmm. And then it would give them accountability that they have to present, you know, uh, an informal pr- presentation of, hey, here's what I learned about X. And right. here's why I think it's interesting. And here's how I think we can use it. And here's the pros and cons. And then we can challenge each other and say, yeah, that's awesome. Or, you know, have you thought about this? Or, yeah, that's great. But I think this language or library or method works better. I mean, I think that's a totally valuable thing. You want to do it in such a way that the team doesn't feel pressured to like, I have to find something to present because, you know, First Friday is coming up, right? So like you want the, you want the culture to be like, just they're, as they're working, they're constantly on the alert for like, ooh, ooh, yeah, I just learned that. I just figured that out. Like, let me write that down so I can bring it up at First Friday, right? You know, like you just learn about some strange HTML feature or something you know like that that would be and it, and it gives you it gives you a whole month to like work on it right so i get frustrated with people and i i feel bad that i get frustrated but so we have this meeting at work called the architecture office hours which sounds very official but it's really just you show up and anybody who wants to talk about anything can talk about anything basically yeah i don't like those so i so people show up and 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 it's very it's very informal. Occasionally, someone will do a presentation, but it's mostly just if you have something on your mind, let's have a chat about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I was there, and nobody was saying anything. It was just the Zoom meeting. It was like thirteen faces just standing <laughs> there, and I was like, "Hey, has anybody just worked on anything interesting that they want to share?" And it's just quiet. And I was like, "Has anyone struggled with any problems this week? Like, have they found anything technically challenging?" It's just quiet. I was like. She tell me that no one here has worked on either anything interesting or challenging and just, just like see the quietness. Wow. Yeah. They're just showing up to the meeting with nothing prepared and like, oh, they're probably sitting there just working on code, you know, typing away, just waiting to hear what everyone else says. I, I get so jazzed up talking about code. And I, 
it's hard for me to understand when other people don't just want to talk about code all the time. I mean, you should be on a podcast. <laughs> I need some sort of a platform. <laughs> we'll have to find somebody who can do that for you. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been on this one for a little bit. Why don't we move on? So who's got something else? I'll go with upgrading all the things. So libraries and dependencies within the application, databases, general techniques. I just, you know, it's so hard, especially when you're having to weigh building something new with keeping something that exists and seems to work fairly well Mm -hmm. up to date. But you know, eventually it all breaks at some point and becomes problematic at some point. And one day you're going to do it, have to do an NPM install and, and, and suddenly the thing that you want is no longer compatible with the version of node that you're running. Like that stuff just happens, but it's so hard to be proactive about any of it. Absolutely. I have an application that I, I spent some time on this week that I upgraded it as much as I possibly could without like going crazy about it. But I mean, so Next.js is on, I think, version, it's either 13 or 14 is like the latest right now, right? Mm-hmm. This application is on Next V4. So it's <laughs> yeah. ancient. Yeah. And it's just been sitting there because it didn't need any attention, right? It yeah. was just working well. And I, you know, I went and it's like, okay, well, we need to move this from EC2 over to a Docker container running in Fargate for a variety of reasons. Like one, we want to get rid of the EC2 instances. Two, you know, Fargate can scale and blah, 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 right? And and it works, but we cannot, we can't change anything, right? Like the the built files work, but the tool chain to rebuild from source no longer works. Yeah. It's just dead. Like the Webpack stuff has moved on and, and all this other stuff. And it's just, we cannot do it. I, I, I literally think that we have a Lambda function somewhere at work that's still running on Node 4. And I think technically Lambda doesn't even support Node 4 anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think like as long as we no one touches the, like the zip file that was generated <laughs> for it, like it'll still work. So it's, it's just like, well, forever, no one will ever touch it. <laughs> Well, I mean, even if they do, I know for a fact that you can, there's a couple of different ways you could do it. So they have the, like the layers thing where you can like upload a container in it and it exposes yeah, this, that. I think this predates your, like all of that stuff too. Yeah, well, I'm just saying like if you need to dig it out of a hole. And then there was a there was a Lambda that we did years back, like when somewhere probably around like the time of Node 0.10, which was like, you know, just eventually became Node 10 or something. But like there was, we wanted to use 12 or something like that. And just like, AWS takes forever to release new, you know, like I don't think you can use 18 on on Lambda right now, but it's a it's the current version, the current LTS version. And so you what we did, we we included the node binary as part of the code that we upload. And then we just like child process.exec <laughs> using our custom version of Node <laughs> to great. run our script. It's great. I wish upgrading databases was easier. I know, Adam, you just went through this, right? Like upgrading to eight something on MySQL or Aurora, whatever it was. Yeah. Let's see. What was it? Yeah. So we, we, this was maybe a couple of months ago. We upgraded from like V5 of MySQL on Aurora to V8. And yeah, I mean, it it was a pain. I talked about it on the show at the time. You'll have to figure out what episode is if you want to learn about that. But yeah. And then more recently, I've been doing like, going from the unencrypted database cluster to encrypted. And that there's some automation available for that. But yeah. And sometimes... Database upgrades are tough. Yeah. yeah, we're, we're, we're struggling the same thing with MySQL. You get cool stuff too with the new things. That's that's like the that's the frustrating part is you'll learn about some new feature and then you realize that it's not available in right. your version. Mm-hmm. So uh, Postgres and it's all awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right past that. <laughs> so I was listening to the Art of Podcast, the Art of Podcast, sorry, the Art of Product podcast lately. <laughs> and, and there was an older episode I was listening to where they were talking about surfacing useful information out of like, not what's the word, out of like metrics that don't really mean anything by themselves, right? So if you've got like, you know, you've got your churn, you've got like your revenue, you've got, you know, new signups and different things. And if you can like say, okay, you know, oh God, I'm going to, I'm totally butchering this because I can't remember the very specifics, but it's like, you know, you divide, you know, like new signups by the, by, by, I don't know, whatever it is. But like, you know, if you take the time (laughs) to think what is actually useful information to know, like if, what is, what is a request that I might get from my CEO to, to figure out something useful? And it, that it would be useful to know over time, right? 
Well, can I broaden this to just say yeah, that I yeah. wish I was better at analytics? Yeah. Mm, that that I I know very well how to go into the app and add a counter that says how many people clicked on this button. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, that's a very dopamine-driven, emotional, I can see a graph. I released a feature and 74 people clicked on it yesterday. It's amazing. But but we have people at work who, are, who will do like, oh, yeah, and people who click on this button and then send other users an invite to engage on this, then those users then have a 50% greater increase engagement within the next four months. I'm like, I, the, like nothing you just said even makes sense to me. <laughs> but but like it's clearly powerful i just don't understand mm-hmm. how you arrive at that kind of information and i'm yeah and it's a whole career so i don't know why i feel like i should even be good at it but i, I, think I wish that's, that's what you that's what you feed in the ai machine that's what i'm waiting for it's like just, <laughs> let me i'll give you all this data ai and you just tell me what it means i, I don't you know yeah but, but like there's there's other things that are even like more low-hanging fruit right so if you just push data into CloudWatch, CloudWatch has like anomaly detection built in. So you can just be like, okay, I'm going to send you a notification Mm. every time somebody makes a payment. And then you can turn on anomaly detection. And if somehow your payment collection form stops working and payments stop coming in, you know, that's going to just sort of fail silently, right? You're not going to get any information that payments aren't coming. But then if you've got anomaly detection on it, it'll be like, wait a minute, I'm I'm expecting more payments and I'm not getting them. Something's going on and it'll let you know. Like that's super low hanging fruit. Or like, you know, you know, if the error rate goes up, you know, the, the number of people who fail captures goes up. Like Well, and, and just I mean, I didn't I don't know much about CloudWatch. It's awesome that it has that, but even other metrics based tools like we use Datadog at work and Datadog's crazy powerful. Mm-hmm. And again, I will do things like I have a counter and I can see how many people click on this button. But then they'll do, they'll provide monitoring and alerting for all this fancy anomaly detection and like change of rate stuff. So it's like, it doesn't matter if your database is running at 60% CPU, that's fine. But if it was running at 20% CPU a minute ago and now it's running at 60%, like that's a problem and we need to know about that. And they have all these just really fancy mathematical like regressions and stuff. And, and it's, I don't know how to, I don't know how to leverage any of it because it, it, I, just don't have the mental model for it seems like magic it does seem like magic and it's and it's not it's like it's one of those things where you, you can't just click a button and suddenly it's value add all day long because you'll click a button and it's like value add 80 percent of the time and then the other 20 percent of the time you get paged in the middle of the night for something that was like yeah because everything drops to practically nothing in the middle of the night <laughs> except for this one background task that has to reprocess a whole bunch of data for some reason and that's not a problem, but it, it, it was an anomaly technically, mm-hmm. you know, so then you got to figure out how to mute that or, you know, I'm just saying it's, it's, it's hard. I wish I was really good at analytics and metrics. Okay. Yeah. So I, I backing away from code a little bit, I, I'd say that one thing I, since COVID I need to work on that I know I should be doing is socialize. No, I used to, I used to be a very social creature. I'm, I'm borderline, I'm borderline ex extrovert introvert I'm an ambivert so I can very easily be pushed into my extrovert mode right love going to conferences hanging out I get so jazzed you know talking to people but it's like since COVID it's like I've really doubled down on introvert mm-hmm. and I just don't want to go anywhere I can't get the energy to go anywhere I don't want to see people I don't want to talk to people I don't want to go to a gathering I don't want to go to a party I don't want to go to a restaurant it's just like it's it, and I realized, and so a couple, like a couple weeks ago, I went out, I forget where I went. I went out somewhere and, I, and hung out with some people that I normally don't hang out with. And I came back and I was just talking to my wife like 90 miles an hour. And, <laughs> and she's like, looking at me weird. And I'm like, she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, and I realized I haven't done that. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed it. And, and, but I can't, but I sit here at home at work and I don't. I can't find the energy to get out and going. And so I know I need to socialize more. I mean, doing that, that dinner last night was awesome. I'm really was jazzed after that. I came home like super hyper, super happy. And even today it's like, I got energy, but I just know it's going to wear off. Mm. <laughs> so, so I don't know how to fix that. I know I should be socializing more, but I just, I just don't know where that's going to come from. When I moved, so I moved last July 
uh, in, in, into a more country area away from the metropolitan meetups and whatnot. And uh, I signed up for a meetup.com account. Like I've always had a meetup.com, but I signed mm-hmm. up to be a potential organizer of events, which costs money. And uh, I was like, maybe I'll try to start a technology meetup in my area. And so I signed up and I think I posted one message and I was like, yeah, I'm just trying to see if anyone around here wants to do anything. And, uh, and that was it. And I just canceled it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to engage with people and do stuff, but it was, I, I also feel like I need to get out and see people. And at this point, I'm like, I almost sort of don't care if it's technology related. I, I like, I'll, I'll go to a book club at, or like yeah. a knitting mm-hmm. circle or something. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to see some people occasionally. Yeah. Start watching sports. Oh, I know. Oh man. I'm so jealous. Honestly, I I was just literally, I was just talking to my wife about this today because of the whole, I just learned how to cook a burger thing, which I think is probably (laughs) something that like 99% of men know how to do. And I was saying how jealous I am of the fact that men like sports and men like drinking. And I don't like to do either of those things. And I feel like that cuts off so much opportunity or not cuts off, but like, it makes the barrier to entry much harder than like, I could just go to a sports bar and start drinking and talking to the guy next to me. But like, none of that appeals to me. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, you won't, re- if you do that, you, you might feel better, but you won't remember what you talked about. So <laughs> you'd be like, I met some dude and we talked about something and yeah, I'll probably never see him again. But uh, <laughs> so I really don't know the point. Yeah. I mean, for me, the things that come to mind are like, you know, for me, where I get that sort of activity is like the skydiving club. I have been interested in, there's like a, a wood turning club in the area where you can go nice. and like, you know, basically see talks where people like will come do demonstrations about different topics, that sort of thing. But I don't know. It seems like a lot of work to go and watch somebody, <laughs> watch somebody do woodworking, right? Like I'm not going to. I'm not going to become an esports fan. I don't want to watch somebody play Geometry Dash on YouTube, but uh, <laughs> apparently a lot of people do. Yep. So well, that's what it is. I need. I need. I need an additional hobby. Like for years, both my job and my hobby have been the same thing, which is mm-hmm. programming. But I need to have something outside of that. I think in order to connect with people in in a less urban area. Gotta join a club or yeah. Something. Take yeah. up take up farming, good buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like that's a good place to wrap it up. So uh, we are on our way to go record the after show. And on tonight's after show, I got a couple of teases for you. Um, we're going to talk about, I got rid of my stockpile of used needles. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show <laughs> or the after show. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. Before. But I, I'm just going to leave it there. You know, leave some mystery in it. Maybe for the people who don't have a, a clue what I'm talking about. Just going to add some used needles, you know. And now they're gone. We are going to talk about Svelte and Hotwire, possibly the, the Ben's future. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, might want to talk a little bit about the New York Times. We'll see. But and and I'll re- I'll review. So for our dinner, my 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 friend he compiled everything that since I started cooking this dinner, all the weird things we've cooked. So I will have a list oh. if you want to hear all the weird stuff we've done over the years. I love it. That sounds awesome. So if you are interested in getting after show to get access to content like that, then you've got to become a patron of the show. And I will be talking about that in just one quick moment. But first, I have to tell you that this episode of Working Code is brought to you by cooking yourself a hamburger. That's it. <laughs> just cooking yourself a hamburger. Delicious. <laughs> and listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks, of course, to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. You guys, we really appreciate your continued super support. If you'd like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod. And I am going to continue doubling down on Discord. We've seen more and more people join our Discord, and it's been a heck of a lot of fun hanging out in there, talking to people. I've even seen our one and only Ben Nadell pop in once in a while to just like drop a then. quick Every sentence or then. two before he once again disappears in a cloud of smoke. And goes to bed early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like 4 p.m. now and he's already talking about going to bed. Anyway, come join our Discord. It's a good time. Great place to network with your community. You can go to workingcode.dev slash Discord to get yourself on there. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then...
Remember, your heart matters, even if you don't back up your stuff like we do. <laughs> <laughs> like or we don't, don't apparently. <laughs> like we don't. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. So for 41 end, we want to do plus whatever. Plus, it was like 14. Yeah. We want to get into more like soft stuff rather than sure, to sure. wrap it and up. Get soft for us, Tim. <laughs> 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 wow. Oh, blooper. <laughs> blooper. Oh, my God. <laughs>